Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. My name is Rachel Laurie Harris. I'm a professional dog trainer, and I'm also the proud owner of an American Staffordshire Terrier that we lovingly call Waylon. In this series, Pitbull Stories, I talk with pitbull owners all over the world, and we share our stories about pitbulls, how we got into pitbulls, how we love pitbulls, what we've learned from them, and how we're advocating for the breed now. I'm really looking Looking forward to sharing these stories. And if you'd like to be a part of this series, please follow us over on the Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. Send me a DM. I would love to chat and hear your pitbull story. Enjoy. Um, but I mean, my point being that I, I couldn't, I, I was really shocked at the time too, how many people I met that came in that really were nervous about their own dog and I was like why did you get this dog but so many times that answer was it got dumped on me it was my kid's dog it was my grandkids dog it was my neighbor's dog it was you know and and they were leaving or they were this or they were that and so I just got it um but then once we could create that bond and stuff you know then they really fell in love and realized too that they didn't need to be um they didn't need to be afraid. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the timeline, right? Like looking 2008 to 2020, like a lot has happened in oh, like God. the public's understanding. And honestly, now when I'm out with Waylon, people come up to us, right? They're very much like, oh, is he friendly? And then he, yeah. you know, he is. He just yeah. fucking loves everyone. So it's like yeah. he's like wiggling and it's it's so interesting to see things change over time like that so do you feel like that's what's happening in milwaukee these days you feel like people are like more open oh yeah i mean yeah things have changed here so drastically in the last 12 years you know um yeah i mean pitbulls are popular here now whereas they were really just ghetto dogs here in back in the you know early 2000s because i got my first pitbull in 2002 so it took until 2008 to start the organization but in you know everything started for me in 2002 so um so that's almost 20 years ago and i mean the um the abuse that i took you know uh, with him was just it was it was really um it was remarkable honestly it really was like i um, I was looking over your questions, which I love. You've got fabulous questions here. Um, but um, one of them was if you sought out the breed, what attracted you? And, and I, I didn't know anything about my husband at the time. He wanted a pit bull. That was it. And I didn't really care. I just wanted a, a, a dog. You know, I didn't really care what it was. It didn't really matter to me. I didn't have breedism in my bones. I don't have racism in my bones. I don't have any of that. Um, so I was just like, yeah, whatever. If that's what you want, then that's okay. Like whatever you want to do. So I didn't know anything, which is, which is really typical. I feel like of a lot of pit bull owners and it's really detrimental, obviously, because I didn't know um, I didn't know that they were the devil's spawn. I didn't know that people were going to hate me. I didn't know, um, you know, that, um, I mean, my, I was pregnant and my, with my in-laws first and only grandchild, and they didn't talk to us for two years. 
They gave oh, up. They gave up oh, yep, they gave up a relationship with their granddaughter for the first two years of her life because of a pit bull. That's like it's mind-boggling to me. Um, and my folks were like really scared, but they were just more open-minded. And um, and then when I mean, and when we got when it was just a little puppy. So I mean, like I remember my dad being like, "This is what all the fuss is about." And I was like, "Yeah, man, it's a dog." Like, I mean, like, it's the, it's like this big, like, I don't like, I don't, yeah, this is what all the fuss is about. Like, I know he's going to grow up and stuff, but like, I don't know, we'll handle that when it happens, you know? So, um, so yeah, so, so people now, like, because one of my favorite examples of how much things have changed in Milwaukee is that in, I'm going to say like 2010, we did an outreach in a little, um, in a, in a little offshoot of Milwaukee called West Dallas. Um, so it's not a suburb, but it's just a, you know, it's like yeah. literally like Milwaukee and then the other side of the streets, West Dallas. And um, we did a street fair there in 2010 and we had a kissing booth. And obviously we're a pit bull organization, so we had a, a pit bull. We got hate mail for weeks. I mean, so much because people couldn't believe we would be so irresponsible as to put a pitbull's face by a person's face and like how could we do that and da 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 and on and on and on and then we went back in 2016 we went every single year but we brought back the kissing booth in 2016 and the mayor was in line to get a kiss I mean that's how drastically things changed in six years you know like it's it was huge I mean that was a total he was always um he was always an open-minded city official. Um, so, so it was, it was very cool, but I mean, but there was a, A, there was a kissing booth, B, there was a line, C, the mayor was in it, and D, we didn't get any hate mail at all, nothing. I mean, nobody even blinked an eye at us doing that. Um, and that was just in the course of six years, you know, so, so, what why do you think that is? Like, from your observation, like, specifically in your community, like, what do you think, helps people understand that pit bulls are just dogs they're not mythic monsters um well i mean here uh i mean we we <laughs> i don't i don't want to take credit for it because it certainly isn't it isn't something that i should be able to take credit for but we've worked our ass off you know so um it, it we used to be called the Bruce city bully club Milwaukee's known for beer and it's called around here it's called the Brew City it's funny because I travel around the country and nobody knows that Milwaukee's the Brew City which is weird to me but um but we know it here and we drink a lot of beer and we produced Miller and Pabst forever and you know we're big into beer here so we used to be called the Brew City Bully Club um my organization was and um and we saturated um you know for a, for a city with hundreds of thousands of people in it itself and then the surrounding counties um the surrounding like five counties which are considered the metro milwaukee area i mean we just we saturated it to the point where it was it was crazy because you go places like i was in the hospital once with my dad and i had a bruce city shirt on and the nurse was like oh you know bruce city bully club i know bruce city. and i was like oh do you that's cool you know and she's like yeah it's this that whatever like you couldn't go anywhere people you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere without people knowing. So we 
we went to every street fair. We went to every dog outing. We went to every parade. We went to everything um, for uh, for about ten years, and um, and did you know radio and did TV, and um, and just did everything that we possibly could to to get the word out. Um, and on like Pitbull Awareness Day each year, we would always have a thing where we would have volunteers in different counties all over the place standing on street corners with or without dogs, you know, depending, but handing out stuff and just talking to people. Um, so, I mean, um, I feel like a lot of it in Milwaukee was homegrown grassroots, just hitting the pavement and talking to people. And, and for me, I think what was more important, um, and this is really just a personal thing, but was teaching people how to talk. So that has become my life's mission, is to teach people. Um, I'm, I'm writing a book and it's called How to Be an Advocate, Not an Asshole. So, because, you know, um, there's a lot of people with great hearts and with their, with their hearts in the right place, but they're total dicks and they're not helping us at all. And they don't mean to, they just get, they get so you know, upset and they get so full of emotion and they, they don't know how to, you know, like, like harness that or put it on a shelf for a minute or whatever, you know? And so that, um, so that is really where everything that I do goes through now is, is just teaching people how to advocate in the most effective ways um, that are possible. And so I think that we were really successful in Milwaukee because that's what we were doing from the beginning. We were teaching people how to teach people about Bibble instead of just throwing everybody out there and doing being all willy-nilly and and stuff like that but but a, a lot of it though was just national progress you know I mean you know nationwide we've we've um advocates all over the country have made such huge strides and then we've gotten really lucky that the dogs got popular um you know, with movie stars and musicians and, um, you know, bigger uh, people on, on platforms. People never want to talk about it either, but we're really lucky that Michael Vick was, was a turd, you know, like we really are. We're, we're so, that was such a blessing for the Pitbull community um, to shed light on so many things because we were really able at that point to be able to say like, look at these individual dogs, you know? Um, so well, we and like the Sports Illustrated episode, I mean, episode, <laughs> the Sports <laughs> Illustrated issue, um, right? Like, I think that that brought a lot of awareness and it painted the pit bull for the first time for, as a victim, right? Not as the, per the perpetrator of aggression, which I think was huge. I think it was huge for awareness. And, and I love what you're saying about like the strategy, like how strategic you were about changing image. And I find too, like in addition to people getting really heated and kind of being dicks about it, I think that oftentimes um, out of, of love and, and a lot of times, but a lot of times misinformation, people advocates continue to perpetuate things that are not true about the breed, right? And they mean well, they yeah. do, but, but I think that what you've been able to accomplish is, is pretty fucking profound, right? That you could finally show people, this is how you communicate. 
Right. And, and I think that that's true in so many aspects of, you know, communication with our, our community and the fellow members in our community. But, um, yeah. you know, if you can articulate kindly and compassionately, it's pretty beautiful how open people can be to listening. Right. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's mind blowing. I mean, you can, you can have the same dude standing in front of you. And I mean, I could approach it one of two ways and I could epically fail or I could fabulously, fabulously, you know, win him over and, and have him really open up his heart and his mind and like, think about what the heck he's so afraid of and what's going on, you know? So yeah, it's, it's un, it's unbelievable to me. Um, it's funny because it's, it's unbelievable to me that it isn't common knowledge. However, um, I think that the, that the part that really gets people is learning how to harness their emotions. I think that that's one of the places that, um, from the feedback that I've gotten from most of the people that have attended my seminars and stuff like that is that, is that A, they didn't think empathetically. So that was huge. And then B, um, they just couldn't put it away. They just didn't, you know, they just didn't know how or, and I think that sometimes when you can put away your emotion and see your success, it gives you, you know, it kind of snowballs in a good place where you're like, okay, now I'm going to try harder to put away my emotion next time. Oh, I have more success. Okay. I can totally do this. Like I can totally crush that for a little bit. I don't have to put it away forever, but I can crush that for a little bit. I can, I can, talk kindly and compassionately to this person while I need to, I can have incredible success. And then I can walk away and tell my girlfriend or whatever, like, you know, the black God, dang. Wow. <laughs> but now he's not going to be, you know, no, like, he's an advocate for the brief. Yes. Right. The ripple effects from that. <laughs> right. Amazing. Like, yeah. Oh my God. So my mom is a fantastic example because when I adopted Sunny, my first pit bull, she like looked at me and she's like, do we do this? Like we had no idea. We had no idea. And I tell you what, right? Like, you know, in Denver, we were really close to to replacing BSL. It didn't happen, but oh my God, my mom was the first one like telling everybody who would listen. Like, let me tell you what I know about pit bulls, right? Like, and and, and that, I think that, that is, that's what we have to celebrate. And that's how we make progress, right? Uh-huh. Is that we, we make a new advocate one at a time and, and we'll never see, we'll never really know, but I think we can trust that, that they're going out into their communities and they're helping people understand pitfalls and in a whole new light. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, the cool thing about my job is I'm lucky enough that I do get to know, um, cause I have people that come back to me all the time and they're like, man, I attended your seminar and then I, I, I went, you know, I went back into my neighborhood and like, I've told, everything's changed. I do it completely differently. And these, you know, everyone's coming around and I'm like, perfect, perfect. So I'm blessed enough to get that feedback and to, you know, be able to, to hear it from people, which is amazing. Um, but it, it, it can't not work. I mean, okay. That's not a totally true statement. There are some people that are just immune, immune to kindness, right? And are just so incredibly um, closed-minded for whatever reason in their life. Like some, whatever happened in their life that they have shut the box, locked it up tight, it's not, it's not happening. So that, that's true. However, um, 
you're definitely not perpetuating their fear or hatred or whatever it is by being kind to them. There's no way. It's impossible. It is impossible, you know? Um, and and there are some some scary uh there's some scary anti anti folks out there you know we don't talk about that a lot yet um but they're alive and well they are seriously the city council meetings in denver like hearing the 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 quote-unquote pitbull experts referencing inflated data and not even accurate data and and you know warning people that they're going to kill kids left and right and like i mean to be completely frank and i mean this is super ignorant on my part i really didn't think that they were out there still but i tell you what they showed up to the city council meetings yeah a lot of people don't know that they exist now or ever have a lot of pitbull advocates and and pitbull supporters don't know that there is an anti-movement a lot of people don't don't know this at all and how well funded it is how well organized it is um they they have us beat hands down in funding an organization it's unbelievable how how <laughs> incredibly dialed in they have their craft and that is part of the reason too why a couple of years ago i really wanted to shift my focus to just advocacy because i really believe that that um although you know everywhere that i go is, a, is is definitely you know it's a little bit different so culturally um louisiana is different from wisconsin is different from colorado is different you know what i mean um from like detroit and and and, and michigan and stuff however um there are certain aspects of advocacy that are universal um definitely so i was just thinking about this um, over and over and over again for years that there was a there was a, a little boy um, who unfortunately uh, died on my birthday um, from being attacked by some pit bulls and his dad um, was recruited by the anti-movement right away like how they do and um, and they funded an organization for him to start here called Daxton's Fund and or Daxton's Friends and um that man wanted to ruin me i mean like he wanted to ruin my life you know and in a scary in a really scary uh way that you're not i've never dealt with that since i had never dealt with that before i had never felt like truly like nervous and like i had to be in a courtroom with him for some council meetings and you know you're supposed to go up to the microphone and say your name and your address and I told them, like, I can't say my address in front of this man. Like, I, 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 I'm afraid that if he knows where I live, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. And I wasn't even being dramatic. Like, I'm not a dramatic person. But he hated me with such, such incredible rage and force. Like, he almost, like, blamed me for the death of his son. Because here's, the, here's me saying, you know, no, pimples are really great and they, they can be and they this and they that. And he's like, dude, my kid is dead. And I was like, man, I can't, wow. You know, like I, I can't, you know, so it, incredibly unique situation and stuff, but, um, but just the, the swift, like his kid was dead. 
and then he had an organization and he had $5,000 billboards that went up, you know, like this is money and this is funded and this is organized, you know, and like the campaigns against our organization that started and um, it's just unreal to me. So, so anyway, that was all kind of negative. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but what that really did for me though, was, you know, as I sat there and just thought about it and just thought, you know, we've got willy nilly advocates with just hearts of gold and a lot of really good information, but they don't know what to do with it. And we've got them all over the country. And so I was like, man, if we could, we could, we could dial in our shit the way that they have, we could really make a lot more progress in a lot shorter period of time, you know, um, I feel like personally. So we're going to see, you know, we're going to see how that goes and, and where it goes. And, um, and hopefully, you know, in the next 10 years, um, just do some, some incredible, incredible changing. There's been a lot of incredible change in the last decade, but I just want to see it like tenfold. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Okay, so tell me more about, so what's the timeline? Like, when did you sh shift to just advocacy? And, and why don't you tell everybody who's listening about your organization and tell us everything that you do? The organization as it is now is Pitbull Advocates of America. Um, it was the Bruce City Bully Club. And, uh, you know, we started in 2008 with uh, these really local, these really local missions and these really local, um, you know, initiatives and, and whatnot. And um, we started because my dog Capone, who I'd gotten in 2002, who caused my in-laws to not talk to me for two years. And, um, and I was uh, just so um, berated and, um, you know, accused, I mean, I was accused of like child abuse, you know, like I'd be out walking the baby and the dog and, you know, it was like, I was, you know, an abusive parent. And I mean, it was just unbelievable, the kind of stuff. And so, so fast forward from 2002 to like the beginning of 2008. And so now Capone is two, or I mean, now Capone is six. And um, at two, he had you know, developed this distaste for pretty much anything else that was furry. Like a lot of our pitbull type dogs do where they hit maturity and they're like, nah, I don't like anything else with four legs, you know? So um, we did everything wrong in that situation. We didn't know what to do. So we removed him from everything that he had a tantrum over. And, um, but six years later, uh, being a dog family and stuff, we're like, man, we just would really like another dog. And I think if we could communicate to him how cool it would be to have a brother or a sister, like, I think he'd really dig this. So, um, but we didn't know what to do. So, so we put an ad out on Craigslist and I was just in 2008. So Craigslist wasn't as gross. Um, but we put an ad out on Craigslist in 2008 in, in August. And, um, and we just said that. We were really honest. It was so funny. We were really honest. We said that we had a, a pit bull that was having a problem being aggressive with other dogs. And could anyone help us with that? And this was after me calling every trainer, every, you know, group class, every, everything, getting hung up on, um, swore at, all that stuff. So I was like at the end of my rope trying to figure out what to do. 
And we got 79 replies in less than three days from that ad. And not one was offering to help with the poem. Not one. Every single ad was its own cry for help. Every single one. My pitbull's eating my socks. What should I do? My pitbull's pregnant. What should I do? My pitbull had puppies. What should I do? Um, you know, my, my, my pitbull can't, is aggressive toward other animals. What should I do? It, it was like they didn't even read. It's like they saw the word pitbull and they saw the word help. And they were like, no, I need yeah, that. I need it. I do that. I have a pitbull. I need help. Yay. You know, and it was, um, it was shocking. Like, you know, we're just normal pitbull owners having our own issues of isolation and no one to help us. And we got slapped in the face with that. And it was like, holy crap. So we sat on that for like a week. And a week later, I was like, okay, I, I've got to see what happens if I do this again. So I put out one more ad and I totally lied. And I said, um, I'm looking for someone to have a play date with my pitbull. Would anyone like to have a play date? Total fib fabrication, couldn't do it. But I just wanted to see what would happen. And we literally got almost another 80 replies, um, again, in less than 72 hours. Three of them wanted to have play dates. All the rest were brand new cries for help. Not one was a duplicate, not one. So now we had over 150 people in the course of 10 days who needed help. And we were just like, you have like got to be kidding. I was like, okay. I, I have to do something. I, I have to do something. I cannot turn around and act like I didn't see this, you know. Um, so, so we, so we made Brew City Bully Club, right? And then we took the the biggest things out of those 150, um, and we and we created our our five initial um, initiatives that we were doing. So we wanted to advocate and get people to understand. We wanted to provide owner support and help people that felt isolated like we did. We wanted to spay and neuter because there was tons of people asking for help with that. Um, we wanted to do a little bit of rescue because how do you do any of this and not rescue at least a little bit? It's just part of the package, right? Right, exactly. And then, um, and then we, we wanted to learn more about dog fighting and about, um, we didn't know anything about it, but we, we knew that it existed and we knew that it was, pertinent to our style of dogs, our type of dogs that we, that we were into. So that's where we started. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, we went along, we went about our business for the last um, 10, 11 years. And then um, I went to uh, Humane Society of the United States, um, HSUS Expo. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the seminars that uh, was on the docket was called Pitbulls, what are we going to do? Like, I was like, oh, I'm so done there. This is it, you know? And um, it was on the last day. So it's like a four-day expo. And so we went and saw all this other stuff or whatever. It was on the last day. And it was the last one that, that me and this other lady from our organization, it was the last one that we were attending. And um, there was probably like 250, 300 people in this room. And we had been in seminars all week that ranged from probably 25 people to a little over 100, but this room was packed and it was triple the size of any other room that we had been in and it was standing room only. 
um, we were front and center, like literally like two incredibly geeked out children, like front row in the middle of this huge room, just like, Tell me yes, exactly. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, you know? And, um, so this, this seminar started and they announced that the speaker was sick. And so this other person was gonna, was gonna fill in and they were going to do a really small PowerPoint. And then basically to fill up the rest of the time, they were going to make it a town hall style meeting and they were going to put microphones up um, in each of the, in each of the aisles. There was a couple like really large aisles and then they were going to have a floating mic. Such a weird thing. So anybody could ask a question and basically anyone could answer the question too. They could just raise their hand and be like, I, I know the answer to that. So, <laughs> Victoria is my associate director's name and I really think she wanted to strangle me after a while but so so man these people start standing up and there's lines and they're and they're asking these questions and you know there was like a, a new director to a shelter um, in Louisiana somewhere so, so a southern shelter which does matter but you know um, it does so the southern shelter and she had been there for six months and she, and she wasn't allowed to um, adopt out pit bulls. And she couldn't get the board to like sit down and like talk about this. And she wanted to know how. And, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I said anything about that one, but, but so there was that. And then there was like a lady that, you know, um, wanted to be able to provide services in her community um for um like shot clinics and you know like spay and neuter and stuff so i was like ah, you know like we've been doing this and then um there was a lady that was like she was like i don't know how to talk to my family it's such a political topic we get so heated and i'm like ah, you know and like i mean i was just like it was it was it really was it was stupid i'm sure it was horribly embarrassing but at one point like she literally kicked me under the table and she that's what she said she was like sit down you know, and I was like, but Victoria, like, I, we know, we've been doing this for a decade. Like, we can answer all this. Like, we know what to do, you know? And she was like, just stop, you know? And so I was like, okay, fine. So then we started writing down, like, the questions and, you know, like, whatever. And we, like, made this plan for, like, toward the end. And we were like, okay, like, I'm going to go shoot by her and her and her. And, like, you go get him and him and her. And, um, and we, you know, like handed out some business cards and like talked to some people and just really encouraged them to like email us so that we could talk for longer and whatever. And we left the, the, we left the conference center and we got like out of the doors and, um, I'm, I am an incredibly, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an empath. It sucks. I hate being one, but, um, but I am, and I'm incredibly compassionate on top of that. And, um, I can I can be really unemotional when I need to be really unemotional. But when there's no need for me to be unemotional, I'm kind of a basket case. So we like mm -hmm. literally like got out the doors and we're walking to the hotel and I just like, you know, and she's like, oh shit. And she knows me really well. She was just like, oh, what, you know? And I was like, dude, we have to do something. This is not okay. Like those people need significant help I know how to help them. We, we need to get, like one of the people was from like, um, like St. Martin's or something. I'm like, we need to get on a plane. We need to go to St. Martin's. And she's like, okay, like relax, you know, whatever. And I was just like, I can't, I can't relax. Like I gotta, th this, this is, 
where I've been thinking about needing to go for a while. And um, so, so long story long, da, 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 um, I can't abbreviate anything. I'm so sorry. Um, but so that literally was the day um, where I was like, okay, nobody knows what Bruce City means. Um, so we need to have a name that, um, that people can, can gravitate and associate and understand. It's just, you know, boom, you know, people advocates of America, you couldn't be any more clear about what we're doing. Um, and it was funny because I had actually, um, I had actually bought all the websites for that and had like reserved that back in 2011. Like I knew something, you know, and I had my graphic designer like make the logo and like everything, but I wasn't sure where it was. And then I realized it was premature and stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to chill on this. So basically I just came home and called my graphic designer and I was like, you still have that stuff. And she was like, yeah, what are you doing? And I said, we're, we're going to go national. And she's, she had been my graphic designer since we started in 2008. And she said, oh, well, it's about time. And I said, I'm sorry. I know. Like, it's a scary thing to get, you know, I went to Detroit once and I, in 2010, I was ready to solve all the problems of Detroit in 2010. I don't know who I thought I was but I was so ready. We had been doing anti-dog fighting work here in Milwaukee and it had been successful for a couple of years. And I was like, I'm gonna take this to Detroit. I'm gonna kill it, it's gonna be great. And I sat down at a conference room table in Detroit with, um, <laughs> with the, the director of animal control and the director of the Michigan Humane Society um, and, and Debbie McDonald. I don't know if you ever used to watch Detroit Animal Cops, but she was like the, baddest bitch on that show I like wanted to be her so bad and she was sitting across the table was one of the most humbling moments of my life she was sitting across the table from me and she looked me in the eye and she said what do you think you're doing here and I was like oh my god like hey hey Debbie hates me and B I don't know what I'm doing here Debbie you're right I'm out like but I didn't do that but like I was so scared of that lady holy shit she was so intimidating and she's such a badass and like you know, I was just like, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And she was like, you're, you're so out of your league. Like, you don't understand. Like, this is not Milwaukee, you know? And I was like, shit, you know? And then, and then the longer I spent in Detroit, you know, the, the, the more that I realized why and what she was saying. And she took me under her wing then. She was a real bitch at that table. But after that, she was just like very, you know, very compassionate and very much um, educating and, and didn't want me to not succeed, but wanted me to be smacked in the face with the reality that Detroit and Milwaukee are two completely different places. We have a ton of things in common, but holy shit, are we two different worlds, you know? Um, so I think that that is another reason why it took me a while to get the balls back up to go national because um, I never wanted that to happen to me ever again. You know, I never, I don't ever want to be across the table ever again in Denver, in in Miami, in wherever. I don't ever want to sit down across the table again and feel that inept and un, like now, like I'm ready now. You know, like I really, I'm. You know, I just I needed I needed a, a lot more time to simmer and 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 let the seasoning all absorb. You know what I mean? 
You know, it's like we can come armed with facts and data, right? Like you come with practical experience, but you know, I think that to your point, every community is different, right? And I think that that's really important for us all to understand that like, just because we want to advocate for pit bulls, just because we want to make change doesn't mean that like, we know what's happening in communities, you know, like, yes, there are facts. Yes, there's data, but there's also the human element, right? Yeah. And the community element. So, okay. So since then, since then, tell me, where have you been? Like, I know you do seminars, like tell us more about how you've been able to kind of like launch from that, that conversation in, in Detroit. <laughs> That's super humbling day of my life. Um, well, I went and became an animal control officer. I went and did that too, because I was like, all right, I'm going to, I really need to learn. I, basically since then, um, I, I, just became as much student as I possibly could and, and um, while simultaneously teaching. So yeah, we, we started the seminars um, in 2011 and um, called them Pipple University and, uh, and have, you know, they've changed and morphed and, and grown, you know, in the last almost 10 years now, which is really cool. But um but yeah, and then the pandemic has really messed that up too, because we had a lot of, you know, really, really, I really wanted to be sitting in front of people like you, because it's really hard for me to put that stuff online, because I, um, it, I can, the whole seminar can change depending on who's in the seat, you know, there's just, and depending on him and what community, you know, um, I went to Minneapolis, and um, and it was interesting because it was a really different, um, a really different group of people, and they were all, uh, they were all incredibly knowledgeable. So the, the the fifty people that were in the room that day all happened to almost all of them happened to already be in rescue or you know doing some form of advocacy, um, doing some form of community outreach, whatever. And so it was like, okay, well, I need to, I have to talk completely differently than these people than the people I was actually in a room with two weeks before that, which was so funny is the same seminar as same promotional materials and everything. It was a whole bunch of owners that came to the seminar two weeks prior to that in Southern Wisconsin. Um, and almost no one that worked at a shelter or with a rescue or was already doing advocacy. They, they were, they were almost all just owners that were feeling really isolated and whatever. So it just, it just, um, I pull out different stories and different things that have happened, you know, different experiences to help them learn from depending on where they're at. I really like to meet people with the learning where they're at. So this pandemic has really screwed stuff up because I don't know how to throw that online in a really good way. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's been really interesting um, to, to, talk to people, you know, I was talking to some people in Pasco, Washington, you know, that were trying to get rid of VSL and um, they, they still call their animal control officers dog catchers. There was another really weird word. Oh my gosh. I was reading over their ordinances and there was some other like really strange word. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. 
you know, so like even like the lingo. And then I was just, I actually was just contacted by someone from North Little Rock, um, Arkansas, and she's on over a copy of their ordinances. And um, this is the first um, ordinance that I've ever read um, for breed specific legislation where it's an all out ban, complete ban, unless it's a show dog. I have never seen this stipulation anywhere in the country. So if it's a American Staffordshire Terrier or a Staffordshire Terrier, and if it is papered and actively showing, then it's, then it's, and I was just, I can't wait. Oh man, I'm so, I, I'm probably, I need to be in the room because I can't wait to talk to that group of council people and just say like, I just, I, I truly, this is it. I sincerely want to understand what you think is different between a show dog and a, and a companion or which isn't even, a, but between a therapy dog and a show dog. You know, like I would, I truly, really want to understand because if, if we can really understand where that's coming from, then we can start to figure out how we're going to overcome those fears or objections that they have. But I just want to know so badly because to me, I'd way rather have a therapy dog in, in my vicinity um, or even just a companion animal who's managed and treated and trained with love than necessarily a show dog that has this job of showing that is unaltered, you know, um, you know what I mean? So personally, like, are there wonderful show dogs? Absolutely. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to single anybody out or say that showing dogs is bad or anything like that. However, it's a different lifestyle and it's a different, I think a lot of times it's a different connection from owner to Pet. They're a little bit different than a pet, and they're always unaltered. That's huge to me. It's a big thing, you know. Um, so yeah, I can't. I just yeah, like chomping at the bit to hear to to truly hear and understand, you know. So that'll be really interesting. I don't know if I just answered your question right, but um, yeah. Well, so I want to talk about something really quickly because I think that this is something that people in different places can really relate to. Is that the nuance and some of like the, the things that we perceive as strange in some of these BSL ordinances really don't make a lot of sense, right? And, and I think that, I don't know, like I wanna celebrate that that's at least a little progress, right? That completely the whole like labeled pit bull dogs aren't completely banned, but you know, in Denver, Waylon and I compete in, in dog sports, right? So we do agility and dog diving. And we have to get a special permit from the city of Denver to go to the events, but there's all these stipulations, right? Like he is not supposed to be anywhere else besides the event. Um, he's not supposed to go to the bathroom anywhere else. And it's just like, you know, I want to know, like, is that even enforceable first and foremost? And second, how is that keeping our community safer? Because I think that's what it all boils down to. How is the community actually staying safer if show dogs are allowed or pit bulls are allowed in Denver for one day, right? Like there's, I think that the, the, the conversation of holding our government and our local authorities to a higher standard, like what is this, right? Like none of this is really that coherent. And why are we wasting taxpayer money on this? Yeah, it's unbelievable how ambiguous this stuff 
really is and and um and where the where the fear begins and where it pauses and where it comes back you know um you know disregard for data i mean we have decades of data like why is this not taken into consideration well because because data is so unemotional and fear is based in emotion so Here's that's a very powerful motivator it's our it's our it's our most powerful emotion and we can't um i don't even know that our mind is psychologically equipped to be able to actually do that you know what i mean to bridge that gap um between the, the weird thing that, that the anti-movement does, right? They have all scary facts, right? That's so it feeds, right? So it feeds into that emotion. You know what I mean? And our facts that we have are very unemotional. The facts that we have, um, because they're not always necessarily um emotional facts so they're not loving facts they're not happy facts they're not um uh i'm trying to think of other adjectives like that whereas fear like fearful facts you know what i'm saying so like our facts we have to be able to figure out a way to tie them into emotions so that they can become that better um but I totally get it. I mean, I do because it's it's really it's so there's the the the, uh, the level of lack of common sense in so much of this because so if there were I'm just gonna use a wild animal instead of a domesticated animal, um, and I'm not saying that this animal is bad or anything, but let's just say that an alligator, right? If they were like if a, if a law was like, well, we're going to just let these alligators come into town and we're just going to let them go, but only for a day. And then we're going to take them all, round them up, and we're going to take them back out of town. But it's going to be fine. I'd be like, no, I really would not like to have an alligator walking around in town even for a day. I don't feel like that's in my best interest. Um, I feel a little unsafe about that but you're all right bringing, you know, so now I'm gonna go back over to domesticated animal. I am in no way, shape or form, you know, equating an alligator and a pit bull, but I'm just saying that, so these folks that are that afraid though, is what I'm trying to get to. So they're so afraid and they're so afraid, but we can have them come in for a day. I mean, like, I'm sure that that'll be fine. That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't, that doesn't, um, you know, I, I'm a horrifically, um, I'm horrifically afraid of spiders. It's a huge part of every seminar. Um, I'm, I'm really afraid of two things. I'm afraid of needles and I'm afraid of spiders. Um, and I think that God probably gave me the severity of these fears so that I would be a better advocate, honestly. And I'm not really that happy about it, but it's who I am. Um, but I am, um, I'm terrified of spiders, like terrified. And it's a, um, it's a fear that has no, um it has no basis i've never been attacked by a spider i've never gotten like a brown recluse has never like bit me i've never had to go to the hospital i've never had any of my flesh start to fall off um none of these things have ever happened to me no one's ever tortured me with spiders 
nothing. Um, so it's a completely irrational fear. And I don't know where it came from. Um, but what I do know is that if someone were to walk through my door right now with a tarantula in an enclosed glass case, and, and I could see it, I would, in the middle of this conversation, if I didn't pass out, I would get up and run. Even if they said, no, 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 no. Wait, it's a really nice spider. I promise you, I know that I have facts about this spider and that's never bit anybody and it's not gonna hurt you. I wouldn't give a shit. I wouldn't give a shit. I've never gotten close enough to a spider. I also um, have been not nearly as bad as needles or, or spiders but I've been afraid of German shepherds my whole life. Um, I have worked really hard to get over that so that I also have the, um, that I also have the experience of being afraid of a certain dog and then working through that and overcoming it. Um, and I've had people in my seminars, you know, suggest that I attempt to get over my fear of spiders and that, um, you know, that I work on it and whatever. And I cannot, because as advocates, we tend to get angry with people who are afraid of our dogs. We take it incredibly serious, um, personally, and we, we, we somehow think that, that they don't like our dog because they're afraid of it. And I tell you what, like, I've never met a spider I don't like, like, I don't give a shit, you know, like, I'm sure it could be a very nice spider, you know, whatever. And whatever, I, I can't. I, there's something in me and I, and I've read and studied psychology a lot and I've tried to figure out, um, you know, but like it, it makes, it makes my heart beat a little faster to talk about it with you. So imagine mm -hmm. that that was a pit bull to you, you know what I mean? To you or to I, or to a mayor of Denver or to a congressperson or to a council person. Do you know what I'm saying? Where they couldn't mm -hmm. really explain it, but it was so real. And then it had been perpetuated by all this stuff. Nobody's ever perpetuated my fear of spiders. You know, my fear of needles, that is exactly what happened. Doctors and nurses held me down as a small child, uh, incredibly, incredibly aggressively to give me shots. And every single time, this is dog training 101, right? Every single time that I had that negative experience, I got more aggressive myself and I got more afraid myself. And I had a bigger tantrum the next time I had to go back to the doctor's office. So that was a fear that was perpetuated then by negative experiences. Totally different, right? Um, and we also have those people in our community. We have people that have really had horrible experiences with pit bull type dogs or dogs that they thought were pit bulls, you know? And man, to not be able to come at that empathetically and think that for some reason that person should just get over that shit, like, no. You know, I've talked to so many kids, you know, we've done so much outreach here with, with the inner city kids and the inner city, then they grow up, so the inner city kids become the inner city adults. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, you know, these kids like, I had to jump on top of the car to get away from him. Or I had to, you know, jump, you know, over this fence or like, these are real life experiences that these, you know, kids and adults have had. Um, that as an advocate, I refuse to, to, to sweep under the rug. Like a lot of advocates, they want to pretend that dog fighting doesn't exist and these dogs have never been used to fight. And they want to pretend that there are no messed up pickles in the world. And, and I unfortunately am, am here to, to uh, 
say that that is incredibly untrue. You know, as an animal control officer, I met hundreds of, of dogs that I perceived as pit bulls that were far less than nice. Um, it may have been situational, absolutely. And the fact that I got to get them out of that situation and then get a chance to unpack them and get to know them in a different situation um, was awesome for me. You know, some people don't get to see that. Cops don't get to see that. They just see in that situation, that ugliness. I want to touch on the empathy and the compassion part and also the reality part, right? Because I think that you are so fucking spot on about all of this, right? That like, we have to treat people with the dignity and respect of honoring the experiences that they have had. Yeah. Right. And, and I yeah. think that you are so right. And I, I'm totally guilty of this being like, no, he's nice. I can't understand why you can't see that, but it, it's not about me. Honestly, it's not even really about the dogs. It's yeah. really about meeting people where they are and listening yeah. and honoring what they're actually telling us instead of listening to spew something back at them. Right. My favorite advocate technique, and it's on our website, and it's in all my print, and it's huge, huge, huge in my seminar, is the best thing you can ever do as an advocate is one simple word, and you ask why, and you shut up. Why do you... I fucking hate people. Why? And so often when you ask why, you're going to get this look of like, what did they just say? Because they're ready to be berated back and they're ready. You know what I mean? And they're like, uh, you know, and sometimes I have to ask the question twice. It's also to let them know my sincerity. No, really. What? Why? I just... Just tell me why you think that, because I totally want to know. And then they're like, okay, this has got to be a trick, you know? No, just tell me why. And the, the stories that you get then, those are what help you to tap into your compassion and your empathy too, because you're like, holy, like, you know, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea that you've been listening to dogs fighting in your uncle's basement since you were four. and you're terrified. I had no idea. The best story of why that I have, the most profound experience that I had, I was at a crime and safety meeting in a very impoverished area of Milwaukee. And um, I was, was going through with the community that had showed up um, about the pipples in their community and what, you know, what their problems were and, and stuff like that. And so we had a lot of at-large dogs. And, um, you know, we had, um, that was the, one of the biggest problems that they had in that community was just dogs just running around and they weren't, um, super well socialized dogs. So they were scary. So, um, so we talked and the meeting ended and this woman, um, this African-American woman came up to me and, um, and she looked at me and she said, I think pitbulls are disgusting. It's a bad, it's a hard word, right? And I said, why? <laughs> I said, why? And she, this is exactly how the story went. She said, I think pipples are disgusting. And I said, why? And she said, they shit in my yard all the time. I was like, really taken aback by that. Like I was ready for like an attack story. I was ready for a, uh, 
you know, one of my friends got attacked, my kid, something, whatever. They shit in my yard all the time. It's disgusting. And I said, well, that, that, that is disgusting actually. And, um, and I said, and I'm really sorry that, that, that happens all the time. And I promise that, that if my pit bulls walked past your yard, they would never shit in it. I wouldn't let them do that. And she said to me, she said, you have pit bulls? Super profound moment too, right? This African-American woman living in the ghetto was looking at me as this white, what she perceived as probably middle-class suburban woman. And she couldn't comprehend that I would have these ghetto dogs. And she said, you have pit bulls? And I said, yeah, I do. I have four of them. And she flipped the script on flipped the script on me and she said, why? <laughs> and I was like, I sat there for a minute and I was like, oh dang. And I looked at her and I said, because they never shit in anybody's yard. And she just stood there and I said, Yeah, they're great. They're not disgusting. They're super great animals and I love them. And they don't shit in anyone's yard in my neighborhood. And she was just like, and you could see her thinking about this though. And that was her whole thing. She just thought they were gross dogs because they did gross stuff in her yard. And she had to go pick that up because no one else was. So now we knew that that neighborhood had two problems. They had a problem with at-large dogs and they had a problem with people being responsible about their shit pickup, you know? So, but, you know, seriously though, the, the question of why is just, it's the easiest way to advocate and it's the one that's going to give you the most back and then you're able to and and you start a conversation which scares a lot of advocates and i get it they'd rather just like rattle off a whole bunch of data and do you know like and that's their thing but if we can get over our own little fear of intimacy you can be so much better of an advocate too you know um because we can find out. Well, when I was a kid, I had to jump on top of a car and blah, blah, blah. Oh my gosh. I've never had to do that. That must have been really scary. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And, you know, this dog that we have here for you to meet, um, if you'd like to pet him, you can. He's, he's not going to do anything like that dog did. And, you know, being able to have those, those interactions, you know, when you can have a dog available, obviously, too, it's like, money in the bank you know but um we're really um i preach 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 about how like everybody's dog does not need to be an ambassador um and having dogs that are not ambassadors out in public with us is so detrimental oh my gosh and you don't need to be ashamed of that either that's another thing that i love to tell people and that they take away with this huge weight lifted off of them it's like i've never owned an advocate you know, Capone was great with people. My, um, my baby, the one that started this whole thing in me, Capone, he was fabulous with people. And he was, he had this charm and, and, and he knew his purpose in life was to change people's minds. And, and in 60 seconds in, uh, they saw the, you know, the first they saw this monster and a minute later, all they saw was tail and tongue and love and the, the, everything melted, you know? So, but if there was a dog, if there was going to be a dog around, I couldn't, I couldn't even begin to take him even close to any of that. And I needed to be responsible about that because he turned into a very um, intimidating and scary man in that instance. And I never wanted anyone to see that. 
but um, I think that there's a lot of advocates that expect a little bit too much out of their dogs because they just feel like they really need to take them with and man we can we can we, yeah having a having a bomb proof dog with you is fantastic but if you don't have one we really can equip ourselves to do the work you know without that and stuff um but 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 anyway i mean yeah asking asking why is just it's like it's like the the silver bullet. It's the it's like the golden egg. You know what I mean? It's the magic the magic bean. You know, it's just it's it's everything that 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 we can do. And then, like I said, it really plants that empathetic seed in you because now you're really getting these real life experiences. But if somebody doesn't have a real life experience like me with a spider, that's okay though too. That's totally okay too because whatever they've fabricated in their head is still there. Mm -hmm. And it's still real to them, and it still makes their nervous system fire at a real perceived threat, you know. Um, so it's real to them, and that's you know, and that's a really hard thing I think for us as advocates too. Um, there's a little, it's kind of twofold. There are some dogs that, I mean, it doesn't matter what breed it is, what kind it is, dog, cat, whatever. There's people. I mean, a lot of people that are not nice, you know, that I don't want to be around, you know, um, I, there are people who don't want to be around me, like, that's okay, like, you know, um, but we need to be honest with ourselves that, um, that pimple type dogs are, they're not necessarily the best things since sliced bread, and um, it has nothing to do with how they're raised, and it has nothing to do with anything else, it's just, sometimes they're just, they're just grumpy or they're just grouchy or they're just not meant to be in public or whatever, you know, like everybody has their quirks and um but we need to be able to admit that that dog fighting has happened, it does happen, that it has a genetic component to it, that that genetic component is so hard to reproduce, and that's why dog fighters have to reproduce at such an immense level. That's one of the things I think that um that's one of the little nuggets of information that I give out in my BSL stuff um, for somebody to talk about if, if I can't get to the meeting because that really blows council people's minds. That, okay, because there's a, some emotion attached to that, right? But it's still factual, it's still factual. So dog fighters, they're not on Craigslist all the time. Like, good Lord, they're not. It's, it, good dog fighters. In, in podcast land, you can't see my air quotes, but the good dog fighters, meaning the dog fighters that know what they're doing, right? They're all breeding on their own. They're all, it's all in-house. They're not going to take a chance and go get one at a gas station out of a car or go on Craigslist. It's all, they're all, that's how we can't find them because it's all on property. It's all inside. It's all what they're doing. Um, but they have to breed and breed and breed and breed because they can't reproduce that wickedly horrible genetic aggression easily. It's so hard to do, you know, and there's no better evidence of this and there's no better way to really get elected officials to think about this because when we talk about dog fighting, we are admitting to the worst of the aggressive tendencies in these dogs. But then it's like, 
So have you have you heard of the Missouri 500 or read about it or anything? Is the largest yeah. document in business history? Okay. So July 8th, 2009, right? So they rescue a little over 400 dogs um, from 25 different properties on 10 different, on six different states in 10 hours, right? These 400-ish these dogs have 120 puppies in 60 days. So there's more than 500 dogs that become known as the Missouri 500, right? This is by far, hands down, the most, developed dog fighting line that we've ever found ever in our country. Um, it had went back 50 human years, which is, I don't even know how many generations of dog that is. If you could do three generations of dog per year, so like it could have been between 100 and 150 generations of dog-ish, right? Around there somewhere. Um, that's really deeply, deeply genetically ingrained. That's, you cannot argue that. So of all the pitbull type dogs in all the world that should be everything that, that these Congress, they're not council people are thinking, right? That's everything that they're imagining in their head. That's what these dogs should be. That's what they should be, you know? And literally like 20% of them were that. Like literally. You know, um, that's like a hundred or less of 500 dogs in 50 years. Yeah. Are you kidding me? You know, less than 20% of the time we can pluck out that one, you know, and they, I mean, these moms were so awful. It was so hard breaking because that's who they're gonna genetically choose is these really really ugly ugly specimens of of the breeds right um it was just it was it was just devastating it was devastating to see those moms and to see those those champion again i'm using air quotes um but those champion um i mean i shouldn't use air quotes they really were champions but ugh those males that were so good and that were so aggressive you know and there's a whole science into it i mean there were english bulldogs in there there were chows in there um you know criminals can be some of the smartest people that you'll ever meet you know it's just they're using their intelligence for something that's so sad um it's just so incredibly sad but that's such powerful information um that the majority of these dogs, people ask me all the time, like I got there 11 days after the bus, what were these dogs like when you got there? I'm like, man, they were, they were, they were just dogs. You know, so many of them were just dogs. They just wanted to get out of their crate and they just wanted to do things and, and run around and they were wagging their tails and they would lick their face and they were, they were exactly the same as what they were six months later when I brought them back here or seven or eight months later when I brought them back here. You know what I mean? They were exactly the same the first day as they were when they left, you know, and there were, um, there were broken ones, you know, there were ones that had been so abused and let down by people that they were just terrified of the world, you know, um, and I'm not, 
I'm not an advocate that, that I'm, I'm not a, um, you can edit this out if you, if you want to or need to. I don't believe in having a no donation. Sorry, best friends. Um, I'm not for that. I think that, um, I think that some dogs are so um, mentally broken that um, I think that it is, uh, I think that it is actually inhumane to have them be here. I, I, I think that they also are such a liability to the community and to the rehabilitation of this slang term pit bull that we need to rehabilitate. And I am not, I am not for that. I, I am vehemently against that. And, um, and people, people can have a really um, hard time with that. But if you choose not to edit this out, I'll tell you that um, I have a biological mom that has bipolar disorder and is incredibly mentally, um, is mentally sick. And I believe in mental illness in, in animals as well as in humans. But as humans, we can verbalize sometimes a little bit better. And, um, and she tried to take her life some years ago. And I went and picked her up and at the hospital and was taking her to a psych hospital. And in that car ride, it was a four-hour car ride, um, she was in and out of consciousness and, and whatnot. And she woke up at one point and she cried so much. And she said, she looked me so deep into my soul and she said Michelle they treat dogs with more respect why can't you just let me go she knew how sick she was she didn't want to be here anymore and there are dogs in our communities and in households that are begging their owners to just let them go and I don't see a problem with that you know I don't see a problem with that and I feel like that's a compassionate thing to do so you can edit that whole thing out if you want to you know and I won't I won't Michelle because I, I share that same sentiment and the listeners of this podcast have heard about we we fostered an American pit bull terrier called Hilo and and you know he came from really shitty upbringing he lived on a chain for two years and we gave it our best go you know what I mean and he lived with us for nine months and you know he bit my husband he bit me he attacked the other dogs in the household yeah. And, you know, it, it was very heartbreaking. It was very early on in my career, but we made the behavioral euthanasia call and it was the right call. Is it gut-wrenching? Yes. Does it fucking yeah. seem? Yes. But I think that we are doing a disservice to the breed and we are doing a disservice to our communities by pretending that all dogs can be rehabbed. They cannot. That is not the reality. Right. And, and I, you know, a no-kill nation. Yeah, I agree. That's inhumane. Yeah. Yeah. I love best friends shout out but i can't get behind um i can't get behind that you know and 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 then their whole scandal you know that they had recently with them you know using shock and whatnot to make these dogs adoptable which is it just blew my mind and i was just like oh my gosh i didn't think that you guys were that committed <laughs> to a no-kill nation i am so not on board with with that i think they do so many brilliant things that I'm not going to take anything away from some of the lovely, lovely, amazing, wonderful work that they do. But yeah, I can't, um, but yeah, I can't. Yeah. So Michelle, I want to go ahead and wrap it up. So can you please tell my listeners how they can support your mission, how they can connect with you, how they can learn more? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
anyone that would like some more information um, about Pipple Advocates of America to go to our website. That's really uh, the best place. We are on social media. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. Please like us and follow us there too. But um, our website has a wealth of information about training, about advocacy, about um, breed specific legislation. And you can get a free bumper sticker on our website. So it's pitbulladvocates.org. And uh, yeah, they go check it out, spend some time on there. Um, they can see some of the, the advocacy work that we're doing in other places. We have visual media campaigns. We can send out an advocate packet that can help you um, to teach people in your area how to be better advocates. Um, they can request seminars, which is a little bit on, on in a weird place right now just because of the pandemic but um but yeah i would i would really encourage people to go to pippleadvocates.org um and we're going to have a podcast so i want everyone to keep listening to disorderly dogs but just add on yes. once, once pipple advocates of america the podcast gets started then i just want them to just add that on to their weekly listening so that's yeah. brilliant. I love it so much. And I'll be sure to include links to that in the, the session, uh, the show notes so people can find you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at A Good Feeling Dog Training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.